What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding BNG Podcast, episode 97. And guys, I know I've been gone for a while. I know I've been gone for a while. But guys, I needed all 10 days to recoup from that ass whipping we took at the hands of the Chicago Bears. And just in general, you know, the Thursday night schedule um, with the game being on Thursday night, the kinds of throw, kind of throws us off of our routine because, you know, we got a we got a real-life 9-to-5 over here bleeding BNG. Um, and it was also my alma mater's homecoming, so it was kind of impossible for me to get some content in last week. But to be honest, if we would have won, I would have squeezed it in. So the first, the first matter at hand, it took me all 10 days to recoup from that ass-whooping we took at the hands of the Chicago Bears. But guess what? As I mentioned, this is episode 97. And guys, to give you a timestamp as I do for all of our episodes, today is Sunday, October the 25th. It's about 11.30 p.m. And we're about seven hours removed from the Washington Commanders defeating the uh, Atlanta Falcons, excuse me, the Washington Commanders defeating the Atlanta Falcons 24-16 down there in Atlanta. And we're going to call this episode Flipping Birds because that's exactly what the Washington Commanders, the Washington football team has done to the Atlanta Falcons in the last three consecutive years going 3-0 and against the Washington, uh, against the Atlanta Falcons. So I guess that you can say that we own Atlanta at this point, right? We own Atlanta at this point. I, I don't think that they're looking forward to seeing the Washington Commanders on their schedule anytime soon. I don't know if this is an annual thing. It's starting to feel like it at this point. But I know if they see them Washington Commanders come to 2024 schedule, they're going to be shaking in their boots down there in Atlanta because they can't seem to get a win over us. Um, So time to get into this game detail. Um, as I mentioned, it's so, so good to feel, come back on a, a victory Sunday because my last 10 days were so miserable. My last 10 days were so miserable. But we're bringing in the positive vibes and they're bringing the positive energy. And if you want to look at this game from a big picture standpoint, when you look at the big picture, when you look at the stats, if you just looked at the stats, if you looked at it like, you know, a, a gameplay summary or anything like that, you would have thought that, oh, this was one of the most complimentary wins Washington has had in a long time. You know, they played complimentary football. You know, the offense scored three touchdowns. The defense forced three turnovers. And, you know, we had one huge punt return, something that we're not accustomed to having over here in the Washington football team, Commander Redskin community. Um, with my man, Jamison Crowder, I think he's the last one to break a long punt return. So it was good to see those vibes. Um, but, you know, all phases of the team did contribute in this win. So that's a positive in this win. But if you want to pull out the microscope, you know, you want to pull out the magnifying glass like, like we do over here at Bleeding B&G where you, we give you that raw, uncut, unfiltered analysis, you'll notice that we still, we still cannot get this team to click on all cylinders at once. And as I mentioned before, if you look back at the big picture, you say, what are you talking about, Jalen? They had three turnovers. You know, they had three touchdowns, and they got contribution on special teams. But guess what? It seems like all of those things happened at separate points of the game. An NFL game is 60 minutes. An NFL game is four quarters. So, I mean, there's a lot that can happen in that time. There's a lot of momentum swings and shifts that can happen during that time, and it can impact the overall game flow of the game and that's what that's exactly that's exactly what happened when you talk about today's game if you look at the stat sheets you know we 
didn't seem to dominate the stat sheet compared to some of the stats that Atlanta have having over 400 yards in offense and things like that. But if you consider that, you know, we got up early, we forced, you know, uh, Desmond Ritter to throw the ball almost 50 times, something that we know he does not want to do, something we know that Arthur Smith does not want him to do. So, you know, we forced their hand, and you look back and you pull out the magnifying glass, you can see that, yes, all three phases did, you know, contribute to this win, but they were at different times. And we're going to get into, you know, that in-depth analysis as we do over here in Bleeding B&G. So to start with the quarterback, as we always do, my man Sam Howe was 14 for 23. He had three touchdowns and zero interceptions. Sam, touched, Sam Howe has six touchdowns to a zero interception ratio on the road um, in his first three career road games. And that's a positive. And I think that's something that we got to remember while we, you know, evaluating Sam and looking at Sam is that this is a guy that's in, what, his seventh career start? So, I mean, he's still, you know, nurturing. He's still, you know, wet behind the ears, and he's still learning through experience and things like that. But, you know, there's some things that, you know, he has to improve on, right? Sam was all guns a-blazing. He was clicking on all cylinders in the first couple of, you know, drives, you know, in that first 15 script where, you know, the offense was chugging in the first 15 um, in the first half. Um, they were feeding Terry McLaurin. Um, but as you know, something that has become a theme over the course of the season, that Sam kills these promising drives with taking these bad sacks and having these negative plays. There was a third down um, in, in the first um, drive where we were driving down the field. We had connected with Terry McLaurin, I think, on three passes, and we were in field goal range. And then, you know, Sam took a sack um, and ultimately made it a more difficult field goal than it needed to be. Um, ultimately resulting in three points. So even if you wanted to go for it on the fourth down, you know, he's having you behind the sticks where it's fourth and 17 where you're not even considering it. And that kind of negates some of the positive things that he does. You know, his his first ball over the middle to Curtis Samuel, it was a missile. It was a heat-seeking missile over over um, over the top. And I think that that's where Sam Howell's arm strength is more evident as opposed to some of the deep balls that he throws. He throws mustard seeds over the middle um, in between the numbers. And that throw to Curtis, which I think was his first completion of the day, was evident of what I was talking about. But, you know, you have that throw. You connect with Terry on the first drive, but then you negated taking a bad sack. That's all your fault. That's all your fault. We can't even put it on the offensive line because you held the ball way too long. Sam Howell has A-minus A arm talent with D-minus pocket awareness and D-minus football IQ right now. And hopefully that can improve with learning through experience and things like that. But these are some of the reasons why, you know, the offense stalled out in the second half. As I mentioned, when the offense was guns blazing in the first half, the defense struggled. Then the defense picked up for the offensive slack in the second half. And, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, these units having each other's back. But I would pay. I would pay for one day to have all of my phases of my team to just be clicking in, in slew of a or en route to a dominant win. I don't think we've seen that since, what, the, the Oakland Raider game in 2017 where you had all three phases of your team, the offense, the defense, and the special teams all clicking at once. But I would love to see that, and I think that this team is capable of it because guess what? Each, each phase of the team showed you that today. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to stick with Sam Howe. He was moving in the first half. All He had um, two passing touchdowns in the first half, one to Antonio Gibson, one to Curtis Samuel. But then outside of the dynamic screenplay, which I really love, um, that happened on our first offensive drive in the second half, the offense was shits in the second half. 
The offense went up to shits and went up in flames in the second half. And that's where, yes, the defense picked up our slack. But that's this is where we expect our offense to start putting teams away. You know, that two-to-one ratio that Ron was talking about before Eric Brianemi was caught in? These are the type of games that you have that two-to-one ratio in. When you're having a 10-point lead in the second half, you're supposed to be able to run the ball, move the clock, move the stick, move the chains, and things like that. And we simply weren't able to do it. And it's almost as if, and I, Eric Bianami was in his bag, but Eric Bianami, he, he he hasn't ditched the name Pass Happy yet. He has not ditched the name Pass Happy yet because you see he threw the ball 55 straight times against the Chicago Bears, and then even now. And I'll admit that we weren't getting much in the run game, and this is probably why. But then he just started to drop Sam back again, and Sam started to take the sacks. Sam started to take the sacks that we've been so accustomed to seeing over the course of the last six weeks. The Atlanta Falcons had five sacks going into today's game. They had five sacks in today's game. Yes, we won, but something's got to give. Something's got to give, or Sam Howell's going to turn into Derek Carr. He's going to turn into Patrick Ramsey. He's going to turn into these guys that are shell-shocked in the pocket and ultimately stunts his development, and I would hate to have to see that happen. Because I mentioned this is a guy that has A-plus, A-minus arm talent. He shows that to you week in and week out. But if he doesn't up that football IQ and start to escape some of these nasty situations where he's taking these nasty hits and identify the free Britzer and identify the free man and identify the hot route and things like that, he's going to get stunted. His, his, his progress is going to get stunted. I've seen it happen with every quarterback that has been shell-shocked in the pocket. Now, Sam is a tough guy, but you can t- only take but so many hits, especially if you're going to be, what, six feet even? But Sam Howell didn't play bad today. I don't want to. I don't want to make it seem like that. But the offense did stall out in the second half, and I think some of that has to do with. And yes, I said Eric Bieniemy. He was he was a little bit in his duffel, especially in the first half, and especially with that dynamic screen pass to you know Brian Robinson that resulted in us going up by two scores in the second half. But I'm starting to question Eric Bieniemy's downfield passing scheme, right? There's been too many. Uh, I've watched the All-22. You know, that's all we do. I tell you, we put a lot of work in here, over here at Bleed and B&G. We put in a lot of work. And that's why we talk with the, with the, amount, of, with the amount of swag and the amount of bravado that we do. Because we can back it up with the amount of work that we put it in. But watching the All-22, it seems like every week in the downfield passing schemes or anything past an intermediate passing route or anything past 10 to 15 yards, our receivers are running in the same spot. And you saw that a lot in the second half, and I haven't even seen the All-22, but you can go back to the CBS, CBS broadcast when, you know, we weren't converting the third downs. They were showing, you know, the camera on the receivers, and none of them were getting open. Not necessarily because they weren't running the greatest routes, but it was like all of their routes seemed to be going to one spot where everybody was at. Like a fucking treasure chest was there or something. It was ridiculous. Like X marks the spot. And we're seeing this week in and week out, whether it be a win or a loss, and that's something that's starting to be concerning. I don't know if it's that, you know, Eric Bieniemy is incapable of drawing, you know, a downfield passing attack, if these guys aren't running these routes right, if the timing is off, but it's something that I've noticed over the course of the last couple of weeks, um, and it seems to be a trend going on. So hopefully that we can, you know, brush up on that. Um, because I think that it's starting to affect some of these targets. If you go to our receivers, you know, we fed Terry McLaurin early. Terry McLaurin had six receptions for 81 yards. He had three of those receptions in the first half. 
And I think that there's a crazy stat out there that if we target, we have a crazy winning percentage if we target Terry McLaurin over eight times, if we give Terry McLaurin over eight targets a game. And guess what? That was evident today. When I saw how that first drive was going to go, I said, oh, we're going to win this game. Because we only have so many wins in Terry McLaurin's career. But guess what? Every time that we target him more than eight times, it seems like we win those fucking games. So guess what that tells me that we need to do? Terry target Terry McLaurin at least eight times a game. That seems like a bright idea. You let me know. <laughs> you let me know. But as I mentioned, he had six receptions for 81 yards. Curtis Samuel had four receptions for 42 yards and a touchdown. And then y'all boy, y'all man, our man, because, you know, I wore his jersey on Thursday night. But I was told that I was weird uh, in my last, you know, podcast episode. I was told that, that my Jahan Dotson hate was weird because I said that he wasn't getting separation and that he wasn't open and he wasn't, you know, getting the separation that he got and he wasn't producing like his rookie year. Well, that episode was two weeks ago. And since then, Jahan Dotson has played in two games and he has about, what, three receptions for 30 yards in those in those two games with him putting up a goose egg today and dropping a potential touchdown catch today. I'm not sure what the fuck is up with Jahan Dotson. But whoever told me that my Jahan Dotson hate was a little weird, I need you to expose yourself and keep that same energy, my guy. Because guess what? It's not hate. I just talk facts. Because I put in a lot more work than you do. I'm the one boost on the ground at the stadium seeing him not get open in FedEx Field. I'm the one watching the All-22. So when I said in week two... No, in week three, excuse me, against the Buffalo Bills, that Jahan Dotson looked like he was running in quicksand out there? Yes, I'm going to do my victory lap when three weeks later everybody else is starting to get a hint. And I don't even want to call it a victory lap because I, I want my man Jahan Dotson to succeed. Like I said, I got his fucking jersey. He had me looking like a fucking fool out there on Thursday night against the Chicago Bears. Putting up a almighty three receptions for 30 yards. And I'm over here stamping him. My guy's in the group chat. Me, my guy, Alex, and my guy, Tay, we look like a Jahan Dotson fan club. We out here standing for a guy with 30 yards. I'm so glad it wasn't today, because I would have had to take that motherfucker off after that drop. That was one of the worst drops I remember in recent memory. When did Jahan Dotson turn into Josh Dotson? Like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? And where are you guys that were telling me that he was going to be you know, wide receiver one going into the season. Or, or at the end of the season, he was going to be surpassing Terry as wide receiver one. I think the fuck not. <laughs> I think the fuck not. Yes, we did kind of bring that up in our hot take episode. But guess what? It was a hot take episode. And it was after Terry McLaurin suffered a turf toe injury. But I never thought that John Dawson was going to surpass Terry McLaurin. He doesn't have the dog that Terry McLaurin does. Yes, he does have the first-round pedigree, but guess what? That sophomore slump, as I mentioned, is beating the shit out of him right now. And I'm going to need him to come out of it because I do think he has talent. I do think he has a lot of talent, but he got about 150 more yards than me on the season. That's a 16 overall pick in, in last year's draft. On top of Emmanuel Forbes not playing a fucking snap today, you got zero production from your two your last two first round draft picks. Yes, that's this is yes, we won. Victory Sunday. Going into Victory Monday. But some of these things just need to be talked about. Because that's an issue. That's an issue. 
But sticking with the offense, let's conclude with the offense. Both running backs caught passing touchdowns, to say the least. You know, that's about the least they did. You know, Brian Robinson looked mighty spry and dynamic for, you know, a big back, 230-pound back on that screen pass. Antonio Gibson had a touchdown back at home on the short pass from uh, Sam Howell, his first of the season, the first of the game. But after that, it wasn't much. I don't know what's up with us in the run game. We can't seem to get much in the run game this year. I know exactly what it is. And it's something that has been a consistent theme over the course of the last three years. We don't get any push in the run game. Now, I know I harp a lot on Charles Leno not getting a lot of push. And my prayers are out to you. My prayers are out to you, Charles Leno and the Leno family. Um, I think that his um, daughter, uh, uh, his wife suffered a miscarriage and his daughter was stillborn. Uh, which resulted in him missing today's game. So my prayers go out to the Leno family. Um, I just say that I know that I mentioned a lot of times that Charles Leno doesn't get a lot of push in the run game. Well, neither do any of our linemen. None of our linemen get a lot of push in the run game, and it's rather concerning. Brian Robinson had 10 carries for 31 yards for a 3.1 yards per carry average. Antonio Gibson, 3 for 15. Chris Rodriguez got a couple of snaps in the second half. He had 4 for 23, so he was the most dynamic ball carrier of the day. Um, with his limited snaps. And I would love to see us get a lead where he's potentially the back that's, you know, moving the chains. He's a, a potential chain mover because everything, the only thing we've seen since, you know, he's been in, whether that be in the preseason, is that he always falls forward. He always gaining at least three three to five yards, right? I I, I don't think I've seen a, a Chris Rodriguez run that's been less than three yards. Yes, that's hyperbole, but I honestly don't think I have. We had a lot of high hopes for, you know, Brian Robinson being that nail in the coffin back to, you know, seal victories when we go up by a couple of scores or any uh, things like that. But he doesn't seem to be doing it, right? And, you know, Chris Rodriguez, you know, he has a similar body type. He's a similar type of power back. So if he's the guy to fill that role, more power to him. Ro- role, fill that role, excuse me, more power to him. Um, but the offensive line, as I mentioned, Charles Leno was absent today. I think the offensive line played pretty well. I uh, mentioned we had five sacks. I think about three or four of them were on Sam. Three or four of them were on Sam. Uh, the offensive line played pretty well. Um, they're never going to do great <laughs> um, because they're just limited. Um, their talent is capped at a certain extent. But as I mentioned, I don't think they got a lot of push in the run game. But, I mean... They, they had flashes, right? Uh, that's the least you can say from the offensive line. The way that Sadiq Charles moved out in space to not only track but identify and then demolish Jesse Bates on that screen pass that resulted in a touchdown from Brian Robinson. But, I mean, the, those are the flashes that these guys are going to show. Um, I think Cornelius Lucas held up well, you know, coming in on short, um, short notice um, with, you know, Charles Leno. Um, finding out that he was going to be inactive a couple of hours before the game. Um, Sam Cosby, Andrew Wiley. I didn't hear Andrew Wiley's name too much. Um, and that's something that you can't say for a majority of the weeks this season. Um, so the offensive line played pretty decently, um, resulting in, you know, 24 points. You know, if you would have told us going into the season that, you know, the offense was scoring 24 points, you would have thought that the defense was going to win more games than not. Now, I know that that isn't, you know, true or that hasn't been held true throughout the season with, you know, the defensive performances. But if you would have told me in August that, you know, our offense was scoring 24 points, um, I would have liked our chances in that game. Now, that leads me to this defense. That leads me to this defense. I don't know how 
I'm supposed to feel about this defense. <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this defense. Um, I was just like you guys at the end of the Chicago Bears game talking about everybody needs to be fired on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Maga Jack, Safe Jack, as Jack, um, as Jay Gruden has called him. Uh, I think that the game has passed him by. Um, I told you guys Jack Del Rio doesn't know a blitz if it smacked him in the face. Well, guess what? Jack Del Rio sent a couple blitzes today. And guess what? It was mighty effective. Do you see what you can do when you send a blitz Jack Del Rio? Do you see what happens when you call a blitz Jack Del Rio? Good things happen when you call a blitz Jack Del Rio. Oh, my God. So guess what you think you need to be doing more, Jack Del Rio? I need to see more blitzes, Jack Del Rio. <laughs> I need to see more blitzes and not from fucking safeties that's 65 yards back. And I told you, I don't know how to feel about this defense because guess what? We allowed 400 yards to the Atlanta Falcons. We had Desmond Ritter throw for over 300 yards. Yes, it took a 50 passing attempts, but we did ultimately force three turnovers. And you know the ironic, crazy thing about it? Every The reason that, you know, we supposedly drafted Emmanuel Forbes is, you know, because, you know, he led, you know, the NCAA in history for pick sixes and things like that. Well, the defensive, the defense forced the most turnovers when he didn't play a defensive snap. Isn't that funny? Isn't that ironic? It's almost like you can force turnovers when you're playing with the right technique and when your man isn't out position leaving receivers wide the fuck open. Ain't it funny how that worked? But going back to the defense, man, I don't know who I need to get a game ball to. Because, you know, we presidents of the Jamin Davis fan club over here. And not because he's an amazing player, because y'all been super harsh on him. Y'all been super harsh on him for years. Um, I wish that he got some of the slack that y'all been giving Emmanuel Forbes, to be honest. But we're not going to talk about that. That's neither here nor there. But guess what? Jamin Davis called ball game today. That boy Jamin Davis called ball game today. And as president of the Jamin Davis fan club, I couldn't be more excited, man. My man Jamin Davis is starting to put together himself quite a season. Quite a season. We've looked up and Jamin Davis has had a couple impact plays that have impacted a couple of our wins. The fumble on Russell Wilson against the Denver Broncos. Not only did he have the interception and call game on fucking generational talent, B. John Robinson, and y'all keep telling me how he gets cooked on every route. What happened then? What happened then? What happened then? But he also had a sack. Showing that he's a heat-seeking missile when you see when you utilize him correctly. Spying on uh, Desmond Ritter. Jamin Davis has all the tools to be one of the best linebackers in the NFL. And I tweeted that today. Early in the game. Because he was flying around from the jump. But I also tweeted in that same tweet that you can't teach IQ. Something that Jamin has lacked over the course of his first three years. Well, guess what? He showed a lot of IQ on that play. Strapping fucking B. John Robinson. Calling ball game. And if you heard him in his post-game, you know, interview with Julie Donaldson and London Fletcher, he talked about um, how he expected that route to come through preparation, through film study, and it was something that was beautiful to hear. He sounds like a player maturing. He sounded like a player that's starting to be able to command this defense. Um, Damon Davis balled out today. But as I mentioned, I don't know who to get a game ball to for the defensive side of the ball. Because before Jamin Davis caught that interception, this was the Casey Tuhill game. This was the fucking Casey Tuhill game. Casey Tuhill looked like fucking Ryan Kerrigan out that bitch today. He had two sacks, flying all over the ball. I mean, flying all over the field. Made a couple plays in the run game, disengaging off of blockers. Stopping running backs in the track. Stopping Ritter in his track a couple of times. 
Casey Tua balled today in the absence of Montez Sweat. He finished, unlike y'all boy Chase Young. And Chase Young has played decent this season. But I don't know. He can't finish a fucking sack to save his life. I don't know why the fuck he continues to tackle so or try or attempt to tackle so damn high. Isn't that how he got hurt in the Cleveland Brown game? Tackling high on a sack? You would have thought he learned by now. But guess what? You got to watch my man Big Casey Twill. Casey Twill going to show you how to finish and get the job done. Jay Smith William had a sack today. The defensive line showed up today. Nah, I don't think that they were dominant as I expect them to be week in and week out with four first round draft picks. But they called, they they showed up when their names was called, right? Um, Deron Payne was pretty good in the run game today. Uh, the defensive line as a whole was pretty good in the run game. I think that we held Bajon Robinson to under 40 yards. I think Tyler Alger was the Falcons leading rusher with about 50 yards. Um, so the defense, the run game was pretty solid today, pretty stout. Um, and John Allen has been qu pretty quiet this season. I know he's been dealing with the plantar fasciitis that he aggravated in training camp and things like that, but he made a hell of a play on a two-point conversion. And before that, I was asking, what's up with this? Who is this 93 guy? What, what has he done with the real John Allen? And then he just proceeded to shut me the fuck up in the next ensuing play. He made a hell of a play on that two-point conversion uh, where not only him, but I think Jane Smith-Williams. And then my man Khalid Hudson coming downhill smacking heads. Khalid Hudson had a hell of a game today in his limited snaps. I don't know how many snaps he played today, but he seems like he was all over the field when he was out there. And you see who I mentioned, Jamin Davis and Khalid Hudson, the two best linebackers on the team. Because Cody Barton continues to be fucking dog shit. Dog water, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. And I noticed a lot of y'all had the burgundy tinted lenses on talking about, oh, man, that shouldn't have been a rough in the passer call. Yes, the fuck it should have. What are you talking about? Cody Byer thought he was fucking Jimmy Superfly Snooker jumping off the top rope and fucking punching Desmond Ritter in the fucking head. You can't do that. You can't do that shit. How did y'all not think that that was rough in the passer? And, like, this isn't his first time doing it. Go back to the Hail Murray against the Denver Broncos. He did that same stupid shit then, and it didn't work. They still scored the touchdown. When the fuck is somebody going to tell him to stop doing that dumb shit? Jumping off the top rope like he fucking Chris Benoit or some shit. How hard is it to make a solid form tackle and run through the dude? Pause. I don't know what's up. Like, I don't, I don't know what's up with this guy, man. I don't I don't know. And then Magic and Jack, Mac and Jack talking about he's playing fine. And then you always harsh on Jamin Davis. Well, who played better today, Jack? Jamin or Cody? Let me fucking know. Let me fucking know since Cody's playing A-OK. -okay. Guys in the secondary ball today. Kendall Fuller looking like an all-pro. Maybe second team. But he's looking like an all-pro. He had another nine tackles today with another interception. Easily the best cornerback on this team right now. And he seems to found a fountain of youth. He got some spring in his legs that I haven't seen in a couple years. I ain't seen that since Kendall Fuller's first stint when we was the Redskins. Some of the breaks he's been making on the ball. Some of the anticipation he's been showing. Like I said, it seems like he's been he's 
found the fountain of youth. As I mentioned in training camps, Kendall Fuller seems like the oldest 28-year-old I've ever seen in my life. But whatever fountain of youth he, he found with them legs, he need to give to Jamison Crowder. Because, yes, that dynamic-ass 61-yard punt return was something we haven't seen in a while. But my man, score. My man, score. You got the monkey on your back. That ain't young Jamison Crowder no more. And it was evident. He got his ass hawked. Like they was in Atlanta and he got his ass hawked. <laughs> oh, that was a bar. Damn, that was a bar, stunning. They was in Atlanta and Jamison Crowder got his ass hawked. But guess what? We still scored a touchdown. But if we didn't, if we didn't, you know, I would have been up here throwing hell, raising hell. I'm going to need you to pick the motherfucking feet up, Jameson. You look good with the ha-ha, 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 ha-ha. You look quick and shifty. Now I'm going to need that long speed. I'm going to need you to find that six game, my guy. We'll get back to this defense, man. Not only did Kendall Fuller play well, but Cam Curl played like a man possessed as well. He had 11 tackles. He had a couple pass breakups. A couple of those were pass breakups just simply because he just hit the dude too fucking hard. Cam Curl balled out today. And we needed that because as of right now, you know, with Percy Butler um, starting, um, Percy Butler has Troy Apke's depth of perception right now. Um, it seems like we've been getting beat deep. Um, and I was attributing that to a lot um, to Derek Forrest, who is now on IR. But we got beat deep once again today. Thank God Desmond Ritter fucking sucks and didn't put it on Van Jefferson. But that was clearly due to, you know, Percy Butler. Uh, and I think that's just due to, you know, his lack of reps, his lack of experience. But we can't say that too much longer because guess what? He's out there with the live bullets now. He's out there in between the white lines now. So he got to make these plays. As I mentioned, he got Troy Aki's depth of perception right now. So I need him to fix that. That's one of the concerns I have from today. Uh, but guess what? We got some We got some production from a rookie today. We got some production from a rookie today. Quan Martin not only showed some juice as a gunner on special teams, but he showed some twitchiness as a blitzer. He showed some twitchiness as a blitzer, as I mentioned, on the play where, you know, Cody Barton thought he was Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Quan Martin forced a fumble, blitzing from, you know, his uh, nickelback position, smacking the shit out of Desmond Ritter. And it was all negated because fucking Cody Barton wanted to be Kurt Angle. Like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And this guy still... Plays the fucking majority of the snaps. Something's got to be done. If we going to bench Emmanuel Ford for play, rightfully so, as he should be, we got to bench Cody Barton for play as well. Can't do it to the young guy, but not do it to the vet. But all in all, I mean, it was a victory Sunday. Uh, great vibes. I'm going to have a great week. Going into the Giants week, the Giants lost. I think we were about two and a half, three points favorites. Um, so Vegas knows something. They expect this to be a nail biter. I don't know why. because uh, the Giants fucking suck. Um, but maybe they think that we're not that good either. Um, because all of our victories do tend to be nail biters and all of our losses do tend to be fucking shellackings and ass whippings. Um, but hey, it's a victory Sunday. Hope you guys enjoyed this pod. Coming with a lot more content this week. You know we got the reaction video coming out tomorrow. Uh, I think I'm going to do an uh, in-depth film breakdown outside of just reaction video to the highlights. Uh, I want to see why this offense stalled out in the second half. So be sure to be looking out for the film breakdown. But you know the reaction video is coming tomorrow. Um, and you guys seem to love that. So be sure to check that out. As always, man. Um, oh, guys, we still not at that 1,000 subscriber mark. 
I think we're at about 930. We're about 70 subscribers away. I want to give out that free uh, free ticket to a free game on our behalf. But guess what? I'm not going to do it until we hit that 1,000 subscriber mark. And I think that we can get there in the next couple of weeks. So tell a friend, tell a friend um, to come subscribe. And hopefully you're the lucky winner to go to a command, uh, Washington Commander game on Bleeding BNG's behalf. But that will do it for this episode, man. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Be sure to be looking out for the channel. We got a lot of exclusive shit coming out on this channel as well. So be sure to be tapped into the page. Um, if you're checking us out on audio-only platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify, be sure to leave a rate and be sure to leave a review. That's how we finesse those algorithms so that when you're searching anything, um, Washington Commanders, Bleed and B&G is at the top of that search bar. Um, as I mentioned before, if you're checking us out on YouTube, please, please be sure to subscribe. Um, I'm loving the interactions, the comments, the engagement, the watch hours, everything is boosted. And I'm expecting big things for the rest of this year. Um, and we got a lot of exclusive stuff so coming out, as I mentioned before. So be tapped into the channel. Thank you guys for tuning in. Reaction video coming tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. And I'll check in on you guys later. Peace.